Good morning, Village. Let's find our seats. It is, again, so good to see everybody. Walked over to the gym and saw you all there. Hello, everyone in the gym. I need a monitor here with, a, with like a camera of those in the gym. And maybe everyone worshiping at home. Well, maybe not at home. Um, but, but maybe the ones in the, the gym. Um, and welcome to those that are watching online at home. Um, we're still village dispersed. We're just a little less dispersed, right? Because we get to see each other a little bit. And it is a wonderful thing to see each other. Um, last week, we took a little break and looked at Psalm 122 and just celebrated coming back together. Today, we want to jump back to First and Second Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 5 in particular. And if you remember two weeks ago, we started a section and we just did half the section. And, and so I want to go back and, and reread the first half because what this is is a list of instructions, a checklist, so to speak, that Paul is giving the church of how to, how to wait well. What do you do when you're waiting for the Lord's return? What does that look like? How do we act? And what things are important? I'm also reminded that it's a list that gives us warnings as well of, of things to be aware of while, while Jesus is gone, while we're waiting for him to return. This morning I was reminded of that at home as um, I, I hear suddenly commotion in the house and everyone's looking out the windows because our, our coyote friends are back. And so we had coyotes in our backyard this morning. And there, um, there was great concern for some neighborhood cats that my family has adopted. And um, so they're running around. And then I went out too to try to find the cat and, and just sort of um, humming to myself the Circle of Life song. which perhaps not everyone in my family appreciates when I sing at that moment, as we have this little neighborhood cat called Choppy that we've, we've adopted. And um, turns out Choppy was okay. And um, everyone's okay. But as we left, there were a different set of instructions, right? Let's make sure all of our cats are inside. And, and I know Susie was texting our neighbor because our neighbor was missing his cat. And um, also safe now. We got word back later this morning. But we're giving instructions in that case. It's not so much what to do while we're gone, but to be safe while we're gone, right? How to, to just be in a way that is, for us, as we think of this list, that is pleasing to God while we're waiting for his return. But also Paul is warning about some things that happen in a fallen world, warning about some things that can, can distract us. And so just as this morning we, we took precautions against coyotes, um, Paul gives us some precautions in our Christian walk. How can we make sure we stay on track even while waiting? Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Your notes save 12 through 15. That was two weeks ago. We're actually looking at 16 to 22 today, but we are going to read 12 through 15. Um, so this is, a, like I said, an entire section that's just staccato instructions, we call them. Staccato commands one after another, and so that's why it's a checklist. That's why in your notes, for each of them, I have a way to rate yourself like a checklist. How am I doing on this one from one to five? The, the thing I need to say with all those things this morning and the things for last week, this is not the chance to rate your spouse sitting next to you. That's bad. Warning. Red flag. This is a chance to rate ourselves and to say, Holy Spirit, show me, convict me how I can grow and walk closer to you. 
And so I just want to reread what we talked about two weeks ago. The first two verses, 12 and 13, were regarding church leadership and, and how to respect church leadership, which is so important while we're waiting for Christ to return that there is some organization and direction. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And then combined with that last phrase, be at peace among yourselves, Paul goes to talking about community and church family. And especially while waiting and especially as a world gets darker, how do we build each other up? And so we start at that last phrase of 13 and read the next two verses. And it's interesting because two weeks ago, we had no idea what would transpire in these two weeks. But the Holy Spirit, I believe, gave us these verses to put into practice at this time. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that, you, that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And he just gives a list of six instructions there of how to treat each other how to be a body, how to be a community. And we have had opportunity in the last couple of months and especially the last couple of weeks to evaluate ourselves and say, how are we doing on, on that? How are we doing at being a church family? How are we doing at building up? How are we doing when we have strong opinions? Anyone here have opinions of what's going on in culture and lockdowns? And so if I was to stand up here and say, you know, next week... We want to be a little more cautious, so everyone needs to wear a bubble suit. And we're going to social distance with one person per room. Chances are you'd have some opinions about that, and I know that you would express those to to me this week. So how do we express opinions, especially when we're locked down and social distancing and social media is all we have? And so this is a moment where I, I want to stop and I want to talk about these verses before we get into the next section and say, how do we apply these verses in today's culture? And I just want to talk from my heart for a moment. Not that I don't otherwise, but this is just on my heart as something that we need to work on. This is a walk with me moment, but I can't walk with all of you because we are in a situation where social media allows us to abstract real life and real relationship from our communications. It allows us to separate the two, and it allows us to say and do things in our communications that are dishonoring to God, that we would never say to someone in person, and that ought not to be. And if you just go on Facebook, if you just go on Twitter, it is rampant right now. Some of you have chosen to take a break for a while, and I get it, because it is a toxic environment. But my concern is, are we as a church just falling into the toxicity? Or are we different? Are we, are we a light to a dark world? How do we disagree well? How do we talk about things well? Because it's okay to disagree. We have all kinds of different opinions in here. I mean, how many really want to wear the bubble suits? A couple, yeah. I think it'd be sort of cool, especially if you got the ones you could bounce against. No, um, <laughs> 
No, we have all kinds of opinions, and that's about the virus, about the lockdown, about government overreach. We, we have opinions about the senseless killing of George Floyd, the horrible killing. We have opinions about riots. We have opinions about justice. We saw last week that we, we must pursue justice if we are honoring God. But how do we navigate all that? And, and it's complicated by a culture right now that attempts to paint everything in the binary. You're getting a little bit of my opinion here. But our culture attempts to paint everything in the binary. If you believe this, the opposite is this. If you think this way, then you're an idiot. If you think this way, then you're not a Christian. If you think this way, then you're not Christ-like. And and we paint things in these binaries that are simply not true. That, that are designed to shut down communication because if I can isolate you and your view, I don't have to deal with you and your view. Life is not this binary. You can believe COVID is real and serious and that precautions can be taken. And you can also believe the government is overreached. You can hold both of those opinions. I know that's shocking. It is online. We can hold that there should be justice and there must be justice for George George Floyd's death. But we can also say what's happening with burning and looting and the killings and the riots is also wrong and there should be justice for those. We can have honest discussions about what is racist and what isn't and stand united against racism. But we are a culture that vilifies the other side. I'm emotional about this because I don't see the church rising up to be different. And I see so many ways where we are falling into culture. And right now it's a shame culture. And we, we've been an individual honor culture, or rather, rather um, one that, that abides by law and looks to a legal system, an individual culture, and now we're shifting to an honor-shame culture where if you disagree with me, I'm not going to interact with the content. I'm going to shame you. I'm going to shame you. And as I've watched and listened, we have some growing to do on this. We have some growing as a church in America. We have some growing to do as Village Bible Church in this. And when, when I thought about, okay, how do I express what's on my heart? How do I go here? I'm preparing for the sermon and I read the verses that we talked about two weeks ago. And I'm like, there it is. It's almost like God's word applies to real life. <laughs> and if we follow the verses we just said, it would, it would change the paradigm of how we communicate. We need to communicate well. We need to discuss well. And dare I say it, we need to disagree well. Because there are differing opinions in this room that if we marginalize, we are marginalizing people away that the Holy Spirit has put in our midst to sharpen us. And so we listen and we understand. And so let me just read those verses again. And think in terms of our interaction. Now, now I'm focusing more on online interaction because, man, that's, that's where we all get out of control. And, and let me say this. I'm in line. This applies to me. 
I have had posts that I have had to not post. I have had posts that I have had to delete. Because I get worked up. And so that's part of my emotion too because this is stepping on my toes. But we can work on this. And we can be a light in our communication in this very dark world. So in your notes, well actually I I just put a blank in your notes because I didn't want to scare you. Because I have eight guidelines. (laughs) We'll see if we get to the next sermon or the, the next section. Just eight guidelines for interacting well. And these will be quick. Seven of them are questions we should ask ourselves. And they apply to online, but they also apply to in-person communication, guys. This is just how do we be the body of Christ well. And go back to verse 13. The end of 13, what's the phrase that's there? Be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. And so question number one, I think we'll have them on the screen, yeah. Question number one, will my content and tone, because quite frankly, tone is more the issue than content, I think. Will my content and tone contribute to peace, understanding, and unity in the body? Will my content and tone contribute to peace, understanding, and unity in the body? Or will they escalate the debate, the discussion, the anger? It's okay to have different opinions. He's, when he talks about unity in the body, he is not talking about uniformity. And, and we, we get off track on that. He's talking about unity in the body where we can love each other and listen to each other and disagree well. But we get combative and defensive very easily, don't we? We see something that is contrary to what we believe and the hairs on the back of our neck start to go up. We're like, I'm going to show them. I have just the thing to say that's going to change everyone's view on this. Will my content and tone contribute to peace, understanding, and unity in the body? Be at peace among yourselves. Verse 14 goes on to say, admonish the idle and and then encourage the two that I think really apply, encourage the faint-hearted and help the weak. And remember, we talked about those a couple weeks ago, and that's coming alongside and comforting and helping, lifting someone up. And so question number two is, will my words be heard as encouraging and helpful? Will my words be heard as encouraging and helpful? And here's the thing. We can, thank you very much. (laughs) Um, We can, in our hearts, feel something is encouraging and helpful, but we need to ask the question is, will they receive it that way? (laughs) Right? Because I can say things and I know my tone in my head. I'm clear on what I'm trying to say. And, and in person, I could show you that I love you and we could have that conversation. But online, that doesn't translate well. That's why I use a lot of emojis. Just try, trying to get some of that in there. But will this be received as encouraging and helpful? If not, don't post it. Just don't post it. You know, part of, a, part of this, I think, a real practical thing, how are we encouraging and helpful as, as, we, as we interact online? Maybe acknowledge the good points that they've made. Maybe acknowledge what they're contributing to the conversation. That's a real healthy way to now be encouraging and helpful. And that actually creates an environment where we can listen to each other well. Verse 14 goes on. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Might that apply to our communications? 
be patient with them all. And he's talking about different people that are in different spectrums of their spiritual walk. Be patient with them all. The question that I would say there is, am I assuming the best in my brother or sister? Am I assuming the best in my brother and sister? We already know tone doesn't transfer in online posts. So why do we assume the worst tones of each other instead of the best tones of each other? Yeah. As brothers and sisters in Christ, I love you. I should be assuming the best tone for you. I should be assuming that even if it didn't come across quite like I think it should have, I should assume motives that are godly and loving. If I don't, if, if I don't think that's your motives and it's a sin issue, then the Bible online's not where you deal with that. You follow Matthew 18 and you go to them in person and, and you deal with all... Don't assume motives. Don't assume tone. Don't assume entire worldviews. These issues are complex. Let me go on with being patient with each other, assuming the best of each other. Don't question each other's spiritual character because you disagree with what they posted. Let me repeat that one. Don't question each other's spiritual character because you disagree with what they posted. There is room to disagree and there is room for godly people to disagree without shaming, which is what the culture wants us to do right now. We must fight it without shaming each other, without going to, well, they're just, they're just not godly if they say that. And what we're trying to do, if you understand argument theory, what we're trying to do is get the moral high ground because then we think we win the argument. And if in my mind I can relegate you as not a good of Christian as I am, I now have won the argument in my head and I don't have to argue anymore. I don't have to deal with it. We sometimes think if we can take the moral high ground, we can force them to agree with us. That doesn't work. It never works. As one of my kids would say, that's not how it works, Dad. That's never how it works, as we're dealing with tech stuff mostly. (laughs) Be patient with all of them. Am I assuming the best in my brother or my sister? Paul goes on, and I know we talked about these in, in an understanding way, but today in application, see that no one repays evil for evil. Might we need to underline that one? See that no one repays evil for evil. The question I would ask ourselves before I post anything or respond to a post, am I reacting or am I discussing? Am I, am I reacting to something? Am I, am, I, am I escalating? Am I responding an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth? They said this and I can say this then. Or am I discussing and loving the person? God says, or Paul says, and he's quoting Jesus here, see that no one repays evil for evil. Now, practical ways to do this, because this is one of the ones I I can struggle with, because I love debate, and I love answering people in a debate fashion. And um, in in high school, I won the debate championship of the school. Um, I know that that's 
where I can fall down. My brother and sister had to deal with my smart aleck mouth growing up. <laughs> my sister's nodding. Thank you. <laughs> Love one another. Encourage. <laughs> and so this is hard for me. And it is. But pause before you respond. This is one of the things that helps me. Don't escalate the tone. Pause before you respond. And another practical thing I do is I have someone proofread my posts before I click submit. And that has saved me a world of hurting other people. Um, because I know my tone and I'm like, I, I'm loving them and surely they'll understand my argument and be corrected. Have someone proofread your posts. Or if, if that's not possible, wait an hour or two and then reread your posts. Sometimes I, I'll wait a day and reread it the next day and I'm like, oh man. Who wrote that? Don't respond in anger. Don't respond in anger. So see that no one repays evil for evil. The next phrase, which actually we could, I, I have a few points under, seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So questions to ask ourselves before we post there. Am I being respectful? Am I being respectful of the person, of their opinions? The person that we're responding to is also made in the image of God. That's serious. That's serious stuff. Am I being respectful? Another question, question six I would ask, is am I, being, am I trying to be right? And I added for me, because usually when I'm trying to be right, it really is about me. Am I trying to be right for me or genuinely understand and contribute to a real discussion? When I, when I do premarital and marriage counseling, one of the phrases that I use is seek to understand before being understood. Seek to understand before being understood. That would help so much. We have to ask good questions to understand. We have to listen to understand. Am I trying to be right or am I genuinely trying to understand? Seventh one, and this is all under seek to do good to one another, and this brings in Philippians 2 as well, 3 through 5. Am I responding out of humility? Am I responding out of humility? Philippians 2, 3, and 4 defines humility as putting others above ourselves, counting others as more significant than, than ourselves. That means valuing their opinion. That doesn't mean agreeing with their opinion, but valuing their opinion. My wife knows if I've listened to her opinion or not. Or if I'm just moving on and making my argument. She knows if I've valued her opinion. Now, we disagree on things. We're not the same person. We're, we're sharpening each other. But do you think there's a difference in how she responds to me when she thinks I've ignored her opinion versus when I valued her opinion? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I might get some special ingredients and dinner that night. No, I, no, no that's, that's an eye for an eye, and that's not what... <laughs> Have I valued the other person's opinion? This is where, and I've said this before, I think part of humility is saying, I, I might be wrong. That's hard to say. But if we are always thinking as we're interacting about some of these things, I might be wrong. 
do, you, do we realize how much has changed of our information about the virus in the last three months? We might still be wrong. Um, I, I'm seeing news events that then there's, there's countering stories of the same event, and, and it's like, what do you believe? And so let's hold what we hold with looser hands of humility. You know, part of humility is being willing to take down your post if needed, to be willing to edit it if needed. Um, I, I've, I've had to talk with some of you and, and call some of you and apologize. That's part of humility. And that, that's somewhat embarrassing to say that I've had to. But, but man, we're, we're, we're trying to figure out how to interact well. And, and it's okay to be trying to figure it out. It's okay to be trying to figure out how to discuss well because as you've heard myself and Pastor Andrew talk, this is a lost art in our society and we're trying to reclaim it. And it's a beautiful thing when we can. Number eight isn't a question, just a, a, a thought. Discuss in person if possible. Facebook is not your best way to argue. Fair enough? Um, Discuss in person if possible. We are different people online. We don't, we don't want to be different people online. If we can keep it between people as is appropriate, it is a, you can see tone better. You can see love better. You can disagree better. You can listen better. You know, part of that is between the two people involved, so don't gossip about it and spread it out. And did you hear what Jim said about, yeah, yeah. He's wrong and he's not walking with God. Discuss in person if possible. Just eight thoughts. I probably took more time than I thought I would. (laughs) This is just my introduction. (laughs) You get my heart. And um, I know we can do this. Because I'm seeing people humbly try. And I'm seeing people ask questions of, is that offensive? But let's do this. Let's do this well. And let's work on this. Um, Enough said? Some of you are are not online and you're like, I have no idea what he's talking about. (laughs) Uh, You probably do, but that's probably why you're not online. (laughs) So Paul talked about how to be community. How to be community while we're waiting while we're, we're waiting for Christ's return and not just sit and do nothing. Then he gets to two more in this passage, and we'll probably only get to one of them today. Um, the next section, verses 16 and 17, is regarding walk with God. Okay, how do we live a life pleasing to God regarding our walk with God? And the answer is to trust and enjoy. Trust God and enjoy God. And this is verses 16 through 18. And we just get three instructions really quickly. And these instructions all go together. In fact, one leads to the other, and it's hard to do any of them without doing all three. First one in verse 16, rejoice always. Joy is is how I, I titled that. Joy, rejoice always. Now, now, what do you notice about that? Just interact with me for a minute. By the way, this is this is actually the shortest verse in the New Testament in the Greek. 
Not Jesus wept in the English. That's the shortest verse. But in the Greek, this is the shortest verse. Um, rejoice always. What stands out to you? What word? Always, right? I wanted to say rejoice when it's easy. Rejoice when things are going well. And the Holy Spirit divinely inspired rejoice always. And so now we get into how do we walk with God? How do we trust God in a fallen world when circumstances are not what we want them to be? And the first command, just right from the start, He nails us with rejoice always. And the idea of rejoicing isn't be happy always, isn't just be happy about everything that happens to you, but it's a choice to be glad and in a state of well-being. It's a choice to trust God and have peace and hope because he is working. And so when I see rejoice, I think a lot peace and hope. That, that's, that's part of the definition for me. Can I trust that God is working this out? Or does he need my help? Now, I don't say, I'm not saying we don't partner with him and try to walk with God. But we sang this morning, why should I worry? God's not worried. Why should I worry? And so this idea of rejoicing is to choose to trust God. And we dare not soften the always. We, we could soften that and say, well, you know, that means eventually I'll rejoice. The word is always, and it means always, <laughs> at all times. And, and what Paul is getting at is this is a choice. Rejoicing or having joy is a choice. It's not an emotion, but it's choosing to trust God. And in fact, in this case, it's worded in the imperative. It's choosing to express that joy to outwardly show that joy. And so Paul says, regarding your Christian life, choose joy. Rejoice always. Now think about this for a minute. We might say, well, Paul's just had a wonderful life. So that's easy for him to write. This is a guy that was beaten in most cities he went to. He, he had been thrown out of Thessalonica, run out of there. He had been run out of Berea. He had been shipwrecked multiple times. He had been opposed left and right. He had been in prison and, and will spend much of his ministry in prison. And he's writing, rejoice always. That means something. That means something because I don't think any of us are, are, have quite the same list Paul has of trials. And listen to some of some of what he wrote. I'm not going to put these on the screen. I just want you to hear these these verses. And this is just a, a taste of some of the things Paul wrote. In Romans 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Colossians 1.24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, that is the church. In Acts 5, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And this one isn't Paul, it's, it's, it's Peter and some of the apostles. But they're rejoicing that they were beaten because they're suffering for Jesus' name. Acts 16, an event that happened right before he went to Thessalonica. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Okay, that's cool. Do you know where they were? 
They were in a Philippian prison in chains. And they're rejoicing and, and praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Oh, and I could go on that phrase for a minute too. But when we rejoice, people notice. When we rejoice in difficult times, people notice. And so Paul is saying, choose to rejoice. Choose to trust God and have peace and confidence that God is taking care of things because He is working. Because He is working. No matter what 2020 brings, I don't want to say it can't get any worse. (laughs) I've said that like four times this year. (laughs) I looked up some of the things from this year because I've forgotten some of the things that happened, right? So far, we've had um, threat of World War III. I don't know if you remember January. Threat of World War III and a plane being down and all that. We've had a pandemic. We've had a lockdown with job loss. The loss of baseball. It's on my list. Australia burned. Australia burned. Earthquakes. Murder hornets. I want to know more about the murder hornets. Major locust swarms in Africa the injustice of racism on display, the lack of hope of a fallen world, and yesterday an asteroid came within three million miles of Earth. (laughs) Wasn't a big deal, but the news said it was a big deal. And poor Bob and Doug are up there in the space. (laughs) We laugh because I don't know what else to do. But God's Word says we rejoice. We rejoice always. And we're not saying we love that all those things happen. We are saying that we have peace and confidence in God because He is at work. Village, He is at work. Amen? It's okay to respond. He is at work in every one of these situations. Nothing this year has surprised God. And nothing is outside of His plan to work for His glory and our ultimate good. Take it to the bank. We can rest in that because that's the promise of Scripture. And so the the ability to rejoice has to do with our perspective. Are we going to focus on what God can do and is doing or are we going to focus on the events, right? It, it, It has everything to do with where we stand and what we choose to look at. C.S. Lewis said this in The Magician's Nephew, what you see and hear depends a good deal on where you're standing. It also depends on what sort of person you are. And let me give you the context of that, because probably not everyone is familiar with Magician's Nephew. But um, Diggory and Polly are... Um, it was Diggory, right? Let me make sure I get... Yeah, Diggory and Polly are go to a world that Aslan, who represents God, is creating. And they are hiding, but Aslan comes out and he sings this song, and he's creating the world, and ultimately Narnia as well. And these animals he's creating and the animals are talking and they are enthralled at what God is doing. They are amazed at what God is doing. And they come out and they're talking with Aslan. And then you have their uncle who is just an evil man who's watching from a tree. And he sees something completely different. He sees a lion about to eat these two children. He sees a lion that all he can hear is this roaring and he sees these animals around and he starts to run because it is freaking him out and he's afraid and he starts to run and the animals catch him. Same event, two different ways of looking at it depending on if you looked at it through the lens of what God was doing or not. 
yeah, if this is why I'm praying for revival, because without looking at it through the lens of the events of 2020, through the lens of what God is doing, there, there's not much to hope for. Can't wait for next month. But we don't have to worry. Because God is God and He's on the throne and He's doing just fine. Amen? Second phrase. That's verse 16. Second thing, and there's a triad here of just how to live for Christ well. First one was joy. Second one was prayer. Pray without ceasing is verse 17. Or pray continually. Now, I word it as continually be talking with God because I'm trying to explain what this means. This doesn't mean that you're all sinning right now because you're not mumbling a prayer. Okay? The the wording here and the idea is continually, not continuously. And under there's a, there's a nuanced difference there. It's It's not saying every second you're in prayer, but you have this attitude of prayer that permeates all of life. And the, the word here for conti- without ceasing or continually was the same word that they would use to describe a hacking cough, which I can relate with. Um, uh, you're not coughing every second, but it, it's always there. And so that's the idea is, is that our prayer life should always be part of life. It is real life. It is, it is always something that we are reflecting on. We are constantly in communication with God. It's sort of like if you're walking with a good friend to, um, you know, Red Robin, because they're open now, um, or whatever's open. You're walking with a good friend. You're not necessarily saying something every, every second. A few of you are, but um, it's just the way you roll. But, um, <laughs> you can be walking, and there can be times of silence, but you're still with them, right? You're still communicating. And that's the idea of the word here. Uh, three words, I think, help us understand this. Conversation, dependence, and presence. Conversation, dependence, and presence. We're always to be in conversation with God. Not just at meals or bedtime, but we can talk to Him anytime. He is with us anytime. And so this idea that we can converse and always be seeking His help and, and lifting things up to Him, He's with us. Dependence. Prayer is always has the, it always has the aspect of dependence. I need God. That's why we sang the song, Lord, I need you this morning. Because that typifies a presence or, or a dependence on God. But, but praying continually also includes the idea of presence. That we live life in a way that we acknowledge that God is present with us every moment. And I love that idea. Henry Nowen said it this way, to think and live in the presence of God is what this verse means. To think and live in the presence of God. Oh, praise God we can. Prayer is powerful. It is important. And to pray without ceasing is always be in conversation with God, always be depending on God in everything we do, and practicing His presence, always realizing His presence is with us. Village, let us not negate the power of prayer. I love that we have prayer meetings right now and that people are are discovering the need for prayer. Ian Bounds said this. I'm paraphrasing this a little bit. He said, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better machinery, not new organizations or more in novel methods, but people whom the Holy Spirit can use. People of prayer. Christians mighty in prayer. 
The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men and women. He does not come on machinery, but on people. He does not anoint plans, but people, men and women of prayer. Village, this is a great time to renew our commitment to prayer. To say we will be a praying people. And so how do we live for God? He's given us two things so far. Joy, rejoice always. Prayer, pray without ceasing. The third one is gratitude. Give thanks in all circumstances. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I love phrases that say for this is the will of God. I always underline those and highlight those because I'm like, yes, I know what God's will is. And that phrase probably is referring to this whole triad, by the way, all, all three of them. Joy, prayer, and gratitude. But give thanks in all circumstances, expressing gratitude or thanks for God's work and deliverance. Again, it's a focus issue. For me to give thanks in all circumstances means I have to recognize what God is doing and praise Him for that and be grateful for that. Notice it does not say give thanks for all things. There's a, there's a huge difference. We lose a loved one. We don't say thank you God for killing my wife or killing my child. No, no, that's not what it's saying. But we give thanks in circumstances. Thank you, God, for supporting and and enabling and lifting me up through some of the darkest times. And so it's a matter of perspective. Right? I love a funny thing on perspective. A pessimist sees the rising gas prices as having less money to spend elsewhere. An optimist sees it as taking less time to put in $3. (laughs) Finding something to be thankful for. Not the gas price, but hey, I have more time. What do we need to give thanks in? What do we need? How do we need to reorient our thinking to see God at work, even in our difficulties, and give Him thanks for what He's doing? For His grace. For His love for us. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. And that's a familiar verse, but it is a, it's familiar because it's a wonderful promise. And, and th- this, is, this is about God working. It's not saying I'm going to get everything I want, but God will work things together. I like to say for His glory and our ultimate good. Even if I can't see it, God is working. Think of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph went through a lot of unfair things. Uh, Just a a lot of crud. And he gets to the end in Genesis 5, 50, 20, and says, as for you, and he's talking to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. His perspective was able to thank God for what God did through the difficult circumstances. Sometimes that means seeing how we've grown through difficult circumstances. Sometimes it means seeing how He miraculously has upheld us through those circumstances. Sometimes it means seeing how He's using our difficulties to help and encourage someone else who's going through it as well. But all three of these, joy and prayer and gratitude, are a heart that trusts God, that enjoys God always.
always. Worship team, I'd like you to come back up. And I want to sing, I'll give thanks again. Um, And I want to end this way and stand, because this song captures these three concepts, that we do them no matter the circumstances, that we choose to follow God in this way, we choose to give thanks. This is God's will for us while we're waiting for His to return. This is what He wants us to do. Joy, prayer, and gratitude. And so let's stand and worship our God together. Lord God, as you gave your word to the Thessalonians who were being persecuted, who were being arrested out of their homes for being Christian, for meeting a church that was under duress, you told them to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Lord, and give thanks to you in all things. Lord, help us to learn from them and and put those things into practice this week that no matter what we're facing, we'd give our worry to you, we'd give our concerns to you and, and rejoice in what you're doing, give thanks for what you're doing and just commune with you in prayer, which is essential for the other two. Lord, help us to be your church. I pray that people in this world see that there is something different for, for, through us, that we don't have to worry, that we don't have to freak out of all the things that are happening because you are able and you are with us, Lord. And I pray that our light would shine so well on your gospel that people would come to you. Lord, even now, if there's people listening that don't know you and need hope, I pray that they would see the need to come and give their life to Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, for every sin in this fallen world, every sin of those who come to you and repent. And so, Lord, I pray that people will turn to you. I pray for village that we will be a light for you and truly show what it means to trust you to a world that needs to hear that more than ever. Thank you, God, in your name. Amen.